We open the Holy Bible to Luke 4, verses 1 to 13, and it's found on page 1,595. The Temptation of Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So, if you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The very words of God. Thank you, Sherry. Thanks, Harriet, for the children's story. You put a lot of time and preparation and thought in that, so I appreciate that. Thank you so much. We're going to read... um, also from the Heidelberg Catechism, part of the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. And Lord's Day 52, the last Lord's Day of the Catechism, uh, asks, what does it mean when we ask that God not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one? And the answer is this, by ourselves we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own fallen flesh, never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit, so that we may not go down to defeat in this spiritual struggle, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory." While I was uh, preparing this message, I um, came across some, some of the issues that come around entering into temptation and, and Jesus entering into temptation. And uh, one of them comes from this petition of the Lord's Prayer. We pray to God, do not lead us into temptation. And the question is, does God really lead us into temptation? And what I, what I found was that Uh, The word temptation, when Jesus teaches us that prayer in the Gospels, the word temptation is parazo. That's 
the Greek word for it, and, and there it is, paradzo. It's been transliterated into uh, uh, English lettering. Uh, but paradzo can mean tempting, but it can also mean testing. And I thought that's an important, interesting word. So when the devil tempts us, his goal is to make us unfaithful, to follow our own way and to say no to the way of the Lord. But in that very same temptation, same circumstances, same struggle, God uses that in His sovereign will, in His grace, to allow us to be tested. And so, while the devil wants us to remove us from the way of God, to detract us or derail us from following the Lord's way, God uses it for a completely different objective. He tests us to make us stronger, to make us more faithful, to mature us in the faith so we draw closer and closer uh, to Him. So today I've called this message In the School of Temptation. In the School of Temptation. Jesus, as Harriet mentioned, was about to go into public ministry. And for 40 days He went into the wilderness for a time of discernment, a quiet time, to prepare His heart for His public ministry. And so he was in the school of temptation. God used it to prepare him, even as Satan was there seeking to derail him. And so like if you are a student and you're in school, or if you have been a student and have uh, been through a course, you know that there's a test, a midterm, and a final. And the purpose of that midterm and that final is is not to see really how much you know or how much you didn't study. No, actually, the purpose of that test is to help you, help you grow, to learn the material, to absorb the material, to process it, to make it part of your, your thinking, your worldview. The purpose of the test is to help you become a, a better person, really, to help you learn and grow. And so in the school of temptation, the purpose is to help us learn and grow in God's sovereign will. As we read, and as Harriet mentioned, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He had just been baptized by John the Baptist, and a voice came from heaven, you remember that? This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. He is the one that I love. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then it says here in the text that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. He was filled, equipped, being prepared to serve in public ministry, empowered and inspired by the Holy Spirit. The big picture is that Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke in particular, is called to be a Savior. Now, if you read Matthew and John or Mark, then Jesus is also portrayed as one who came to save us. But there are nuanced interpretations. For Matthew, for example, Jesus is the Messiah. For, for Mark, Jesus is the King. For John, Jesus is the, the great I Am. For Luke, Jesus is a Savior. He uses that word often. Jesus is the Savior of the world. That's His mission, according to Luke's account of the life of Jesus. And 
when he enters into this time of testing and temptation, what Satan is trying to do is derail Jesus from fulfilling that mission, distracting him, detracting him, derail him, so he, he, he reneges from his calling to be the Savior of the world. That is the ultimate goal of, of Satan in these temptations. Jesus is called to, to fidelity, to faithfulness, to loyalty, to the plan, the mission that God has given to him. And Satan is doing all that he can right at the beginning, to sow seeds of doubt and to make him think twice about going ahead with fulfilling that particular ministry. We see a pattern here. Maybe you recognize the pattern yourself. Let's say you feel a call on your life. God is speaking to you to do something, to step out in faith. He's calling you to go on a mission trip. He's calling you to lead a Bible study or join a small group, something you've not done before. Maybe God is calling you by His Spirit uh, to let your name stand to serve on council. Maybe He's calling you to reach out to a friend who doesn't know Christ. Maybe He's prompting you to pray for someone that you've never prayed before. And when that happens, when the Spirit moves, maybe He's calling you to go into, to become a missionary or, or to go into a full-time ministry. And Satan's all over that, right? He, he's, he's not going to let that go untested. So he's going to come and begin sowing seeds of doubt. Oh, did, did God really say that to you? <laughs> Does He really want you to join a small group or lead a Bible study? Who do you think you are? Do you really have the gifts? To go on a mission trip? Do you have the energy? Do you have the time? Are you really that spiritual? Don't you have to work out some things in your life before you're really equipped to, to become a pastor? And he sows seeds of doubt and he tries to derail us from following through and doing where God is leading us. Going ahead and being faithful, loyal to the call. He wants to derail us. And so this morning as we consider temptation, I think probably when you think of temptation, you think of, well, the time I'm, as Harry said, angry, or the time I'm envious, or, or I'm jealous, or, or maybe I, I want to hurt someone with my words, or I want to gossip, or, or maybe I'm tempted to be selfish or greedy. Those are all temptations that the devil uses. Make no mistake about it. But this morning, we're going to sort of narrow it down and focus on this this quest of the evil one to derail us from following the voice of God, from following the way and the will of God in our, in our lives, just as he did with Jesus in, in the wilderness. It's ironic, in a way, that when we are sensing temptation, that's when we're in a good spot. It sounds a little bit strange, but then we know we're onto something. That God is leading us onto something. And there's going to be resistance. There's going to be temptation. It means, it means God is leading us. And it's a good place, a good place to be in God's sovereign grace. 
And so Jesus is tempted the first time. He's been fasting for 40 days. Satan comes and says, oh, he's hungry, as we recognize, you are the Son of God. I, yeah, I heard the voice too. You're the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, you can do anything. Why don't you just take this stone and transport it, translate it miraculously into a piece of bread and take care of that immediate need. We might think, what's the big deal about that? No skin off anybody's nose, really. A piece of stone turned to bread. What's the, what's the problem with that? And I think what Satan is tempting Jesus to do is, is to take the quick fix, the shortcut. To use his powers to satisfy his own needs. When he knows he has come not to fulfill his own needs, he has come to fulfill the will of the Father. And the will of the Father isn't going to be a quick fix. The will of the Father is to, is to redeem the world. And it's going to take ministry and teaching and sacrifice. It's going to take death itself. And Satan is saying, I oh, don't bother with all of that. Why don't you just, just use that power if you're the Son of God? You, you can do it. You have the authority just to take care of your own, your own needs. And when God calls us into ministry, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not the most patient person. And probably these days, fast-forward mode, you know, very common with texting and tweeting and all of that, right? We send a text and we think, why, why hasn't this person responded within three minutes? It's, it's taking too long. Three minutes. When it comes to spirituality, when it comes to God's timing, when it comes to God's way, He's not bound by texts or tweets. He's, he just has His own timeline. And growing in faith, growing our relationship with Christ, going, growing as the body of Christ in our relationship with each other takes time to mature, time to grow. We might have plans, ministries that we want to see happening. And God has a plan, a three-year plan, and we want to reduce it down to a six-month plan. Well, that's, that's our impatience. To be patient, to wait. The second temptation. Jesus is taken to a mountaintop and he's shown all the power and the glory, all the authority and the splendor of the, of the, of the earthly realm. He says, Satan says, it's all yours. All you have to do is change your allegiance. Just bow down and worship. Do obeisance to me and acknowledge my authority and I will give it all to you. Temporal glory. To hand in his mission for eternal glory for a glory that encompasses not only this world and this universe, but the eternal kingdoms of God, to reduce it down and say, just this glory, this earthly temporal glory, I can give it to you if you just worship me. Just acknowledge my authority. And for us, I think the temptation is to, to settle for, for less than the kingdom of God. And I know, I have to be careful here, because I, I know we need encouragement. We, we need people to acknowledge our gifts, to affirm us in our gifts, to compliment us, to encourage us. I, I think that's important in life and in being built up in the body of Christ. But the subtle line that we can cross is that we become 
motivated in doing ministry for the praise of, of men. And probably worse, that our objective in doing ministry and reaching out and serving others and sacrificing is so others will acknowledge us and give us accolades that are merely temporal. So, you know, it's, a, it's subtle, it's a fine line, so I just raise it to be, to be aware of, of it, and myself included, of course. Why do you reach out to someone? Why do you serve Christ so others will recognize and give you praise and adoration? Temporal glory while you sort of lose sight of the, the kingdom of God with all its splendor and all its glory. That's, that's what He is preparing for us. Not something that's merely reduced to the material or the praises of, of, of just this world. The third temptation. Jesus is taken to the pinnacle of the temple and He's invited to cast Himself down If you are the Son of God again, and here's a quote actually from Psalm 91, there are guardian angels that will help you and lift up your foot so it doesn't strike a stone. Why don't you test God to see if He really is committed to you, Jesus? And so I would say what's happening here is Satan is questioning the the integrity, if I will, of, of Christ's relationship to the Father, the, the loyalty of the Father towards the Son. Spiritual insecurity, I would call this. We may be wonder or doubt whether God is committed to us, as committed to us as we were told when we were growing up, or as we sometimes read in the Bible. Does He really care about my ministry, what I'm doing for Him, how I'm living my life for Him. Does He really care about that? And, and, and does He really care about me is the next question. Does He really love me? And I, I think for a lot of us, if I can be so, so bold as to ask the question, struggle with self-esteem. Who would really love me? I'm really not such a lovable person. And we sort of translate that into, you know, does God really love me just like I am? And Satan just loves to sow seeds of doubt about that. Jesus, is, is He really committed to you going all the way to the office? I mean, I mean just imagine how awful it would be if you get to the end of your life and you die on a cross and you find out that God is really not all that interested in all of that. So why don't you test Him now? See if He'll just, on this little incidental you know, occasion, throw yourself off from the temple and see if He comes to save you. Well, as Harriet mentioned, Jesus responds each time. What does He do? He quotes the Bible. He quotes Scripture. He quotes from Deuteronomy. Verses, uh, or Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 8. And that's the time that, that Israel was in the wilderness. And they are there for 40 years. Jesus, 40 days, mirrored by Israel's sojourn in the wilderness for 40 years. Tested, tempted there. And Jesus responds by quoting every time about the, about the you know, change the stones into bread, you shouldn't. Uh, you, you shouldn't. Well, he, 
that's the story of manna, right? So man doesn't live by bread alone. The, the, disciple, the uh, Israelites are in the wilderness and they're without food and they start to complain. They start to test God and uh, he provides for them. Not just manna, but their whole salvation, their whole spiritual well-being. He provides for them. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you shouldn't live by bread alone, but even, even that, he provides for you in his time. So much he cares for you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. So intimately, he knows you. He knows you're hungry. He knows you're spiritually hungry, and he will care for all of that. The second one, where he sees the kingdoms of the world, says you should serve the Lord your God alone and no other. Seek His kingdom first. Seek His righteousness first. Matthew 6.33 And then everything else. The kingdoms of this world will be yours too. In addition to the kingdoms of God's eternal reign. You shouldn't put the Lord to your test from Deuteronomy 6.16 when He's tempted to throw Himself off the temple. There at the, the time of Meribah, the Israelites, are, they're thirsty. They're running out of water. They've run out of water. They're testing God. Does He really care for us? He brought us out of here, out of Egypt, into this wilderness. Does He really care for us? You shouldn't test Him. He cares for you. He provided water and much more spiritual water. To slack your thirst, your spiritual thirst, so you will never thirst again. Israel failed on those three occasions. They worshipped idols, the things of this world. They tested God. They thought He didn't care for them. But Jesus is faithful. He resists every one of those temptations. And as Hebrews 2 says, He does so. He suffered and was tempted so that he would be able to help us. So that he would be able to be tempted for us in our place. And so we're, we're called in times of temptation when, when we aren't sure he really cares about us or if he really provides for us or if he's really calling calling us in the ministry He's called us to serve and the path we've been called to go by the Spirit, when we're, we're tempted to stop, to give in, to, to, to just quit, when we're tempted to follow our own way, whatever that looks like, we're called to take the Word, Jesus Christ, who is victorious for us, claim His victory, and have Him live in us by His Holy Spirit. That this word that we quote, I mean, it's good to, to memorize Scripture and to have Scripture in your heart and on your lips when you're tempted or to sing Jesus Loves Me. Very scriptural. Do those things. But beyond that, we're called to have the Word live in us. Christ lives in us. So we are strong to resist through the temptation, through the testing, not just by quoting Scripture, as important as that is, but through quoting Scripture, remind ourselves that Christ lives, the victorious Christ lives in us and has gained the victory for us. And Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 6, the armor of God. He says, 
Put on the armor of God, or I would say this morning for us, put on the armor of Christ. Put on the full armor of Christ so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the belt of truth. These days there's a lot of, you know, deception and fake news going around. You don't know what to believe anymore. Jesus speaks the truth. End of discussion. When he speaks, we might not like what he says. We might not understand it. But one thing we can be sure of, when he speaks, it's true. Jesus is the truth that we live by. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. He is my righteousness. I was disobedient. I failed. I gave in to temptation. But he has gained righteousness for me. We call that, theologians, imputed righteousness. We, we take it from, from Christ and it's given to us. The feet that have the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. We have been given the gospel of good news. God loves the world. He gave His Son for us. And that's good news for the world. That's good news for us. Equip yourselves with the gospel of good news. In addition to this, it says here, put on the shield of faith. I trust. I trust that what Christ has done is worthy for my salvation, for the coming of His kingdom. And the arrows of the devil bounce off of that shield of faith as if they were just toy arrows. Put on the helmet of salvation. Again, what Christ has accomplished for me by His atoning sacrifice on the cross has saved my life. And I can be assured of that. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit that lives in us, that transforms us, that causes Christ to live in us. And so you will be prepared to resist the flaming arrows of the evil one. Jesus spoke with the word of God in his lips as it was written. We live with him in us to resist the ploys of the evil one. I have an image here that I'd like to show you. It's an image that... um, Created by Rembrandt van Rijn, it's an old woman reading the Bible. And um, what I find so fascinating about this image is that uh, it, it's, uh, th- this woman is reading the Scripture, which is highlighted. This is a Hebrew text that she's, she's actually reading. She has her hand on the, on the text, and her hand is actually um, touching the text, and it's as if... Her tangible engagement with the Word uh, transforms her being, her life. And um, she's dressed in red, which is, in terms of art, art history, red is the color of forgiveness, among other things, the blood of Christ, forgiveness. She is coated in the blood of Christ. She is redeemed by His forgiveness. And she's wearing this golden headdress, the helmet of salvation. And what we are looking at here is a tower of spiritual power. This is a woman that is being transformed by the Word of God. Strong to stand against the schemes of the evil one. We might not say it to look at her. She looks quite old and, and uh, uh, bereft of strength. It's like the, the, the devil could push her over with his pinky finger. But in fact, she is standing in the Word 
And the devil has no chance, actually, against her. It reminds me of a story that I heard of uh, a man named Cisco, Francisco for long, Cisco for short. That's why I call this Cisco's mother. It's not really his mother. Um, but this is a, a man who was a Puerto Rican. He uh, grew up in Puerto Rico for, he was born in 1944. And in 1949, his parents immigrated to uh, the United States of America, to uh, New York. And Cisco grew up there in the streets of New York. He got involved in, in, in the gangs there. He eventually joined up with the mafia and he became actually a, a hitman. And so during the daytime, he would drive around a, a milk delivery truck. And at nighttime, under the cover of night, uh, he would go around New York serving the mafia as uh, in organized crime as a hitman. And every time he would come home late at night, 11 o'clock or so or after, his mother would be sitting there in her chair in the living room with a little light on. And she had been, she's there with her Bible and she's, she's praying. And every time he would come home, she would say, Cisco, it's good to see you home again. I was praying that the Lord would keep you safe. And Cisco, who has no patience for God at all, of course, or church, uh, saying, well, yeah, Mom, thanks, you know. Uh, you're really sort of naive and out of it, but that's okay. And, uh, well, in time, uh, Cisco was, was caught and he was put in prison. And uh, when he was in prison there, uh, he heard that his, his mother had passed away. She was an asthmatic, and she had an attack, and she died quite, quite young, actually. And he was very angry about that. He was very upset with God about taking his mother, who he, he did love, uh, very much, and he was angry at God. And that anger stayed with him for years and years, anger at God for taking his mother so soon. Well, in time, years after his time in prison, he's still in prison, he met a few of his colleagues from the streets who had actually become Christians. They invited him to a, a worship service in the, prisons, in the prison walls, and he said, are you kidding? I'm not, I don't want anything to do with that. But anyways, he eventually ended up there. And while, they were, while he was there once, there was a woman singing in the praise team, and she shared a few words, and this woman looked like his mother. And when she spoke, she, he, he, as he tells it now, it was as if my mother was there speaking to me. And eventually he became, you know, through his friends, through the pastor there, the chaplain, he became a believer. He became a, a Christian. And what I find so interesting about that is that as he struggled and wrestled with the, the anger about his mother's death, it was his mother, the meek Seemingly powerless mother who stayed at home and prayed every night, reading her word, the Bible, was the one that actually would not let him go and that God used this meek and mild mother to actually bring him to faith. Satan doesn't have a chance against the word of God as it lives in us. as Jesus lives in us and through us. And so Jesus says something very fascinating to his disciples as he's in the upper room with them. He, he says that you've, you know, you've been through the school of temptation. And, and it's in, if I can put it in this way, you've graduated, he says. You have triumphed over temptation. You have been with me in my trials. Therefore, I confer on you, 
he says, the kingdom of God. Receive the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you that you went to battle for us. You came into the world, became one of us, took on our sin, took on our temptation, and was strong. Where we succumbed to temptation, where Israel failed and we fail, you were faithful and tempted in all ways except for sin. Lord, you prevailed in following the will of the Father all the way to the cross and through the grave to resurrection that we might claim you as our righteousness, claim you as our triumphant Lord, and find victory in you over temptation. We receive the kingdom that you have won for us in thanksgiving. Help us, O Lord, in our Christian walk to be strong, to resist, to follow your promptings of the Spirit as you lead us in the Christian life, to glorify your name and proclaim the coming of your kingdom. In Jesus we pray. Amen.